All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm speaking to you here on the um, Tuesday, February 7th, 2017. Uh, I'd like to remind each of you every week that I am the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and you can subscribe to that letter at miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. And you can uh, subscribe to my friend uh, Chen Lin's letter as well at chenpicks.com chenpicks.com I want to thank each of you for listening to the show making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business channel and also want to encourage you to send along your questions comments criticisms and praises to questions for taylor at gmail.com questions the number for taylor at gmail.com I do want to thank our sponsors for today's show they are Golden Predator Chilean Metals Aravista Aran Resources, Novo Resources, Uranium Energy Corp., and Dynacert, Inc. And a couple of words about our sponsors and the progress that they're making. Golden Predator, their shares have been on a tear, and they're actually up 877% since I first talked about them in my newsletter last March 2016. In just a few minutes, we're going to be talking to Bill Sheriff. Uh, he is the executive chairman of that company. They have a high-grade, uh, near-surface gold deposit. looks very, very massive up in the Yukon. Um, stock's made quite a run. Is it still a good buy at its current price? We're going to talk to Bill about that. Arvista has also started moving much higher. This company has a very large gold deposit in Quebec, some three-plus million ounces of gold. But I firmly believe that their 30,000-meter drill program that's getting underway this year will probably increase that number very dramatically. And I am also aware that some very serious deep pocket uh, successful mining entrepreneurs have stepped into this game as well and have put a significant amount of money into this company. Uh, this is one I'm very, very excited about. We'll be talking to uh, we'll be talking to the CEO of that company on February 28th. Novo Resources, my own personal top pick, is doing extremely well the last couple of days, and I think in part because of some excellent assays or metallurgical, actually metallurgical uh, results that have come back showing the company uh, being able at its Beaton's Creek project of uh, recovering more than 98% of the gold uh, in that rock. And uh, lots more good news, I think, coming for, from Novo Resources as it uh, spells out its uh, blue spec assays, the assays that are coming from the drilling program that's going on, very high-grade vein system there in uh, northwestern Australia. Last but not least, Dynacert has had some very good news this week, namely that the uh, revenues have begun to flow from the sale of the company's first 500-unit sales of hydrogen. That's a device that is added on to trucks that help save the fuel consumption for trucks, reduce the fuel consumption for trucks by upwards to 18% uh, or so, and also 
massively reduces carbon emissions. So uh, we'll be talking to the president, Jim Payne, of that company on March 21st. So lots of good things happening with our sponsors. I'm very proud to have them. And uh, I'm very happy also personally to have them in my newsletter and also to make a little bit of money myself with some of these stocks. So uh, I've titled today's show, David Stockman says, get out of stocks now. Uh, Bill Sheriff, as I just mentioned, the executive chairman of Golden Predator, uh, will be with me. Uh, this is the first time Bill's been with us. Uh, also, Michael Oliver is uh, here momentarily, and we'll be speaking to him in just a few seconds. And then David Stockman, at about half past the hour, uh, will tell us why investing in the equity market is very dangerous right now and why he thinks not only are we likely to see a decline, but likely a very a dramatic decline. So we'll talk to David Stockman at about a half past the hour to get his views on, on the markets and the economy and, and more as well um, uh, on the political front uh, too. In geopolitics, uh, David is talking about American foreign policy. Very, very important, he says, to drain the swamp. We have to look at that area of our lives, uh, that area of the budget as well. Well, right now we have Michael with us. Thank you, Michael, for joining me again. It's awfully always good to have you with me. It's good to be back. Uh, OliverMSA.com, folks. OliverMSA.com. Well, Michael, gold is looking very strong now, and it, it seemed to have really thrived after it sort of tested a, a key level for you down close to, I guess it was 12, uh, 1100, 1120 or something like that. Um, yeah, we, and, we, we and, had a and, level we didn't want to see in particular because it would have put us into a neutral camp. And, uh, and it was a big sell-off September through December, I admit, but it didn't negate the annual momentum uptrend that began in February from mm-hmm. the low 1100s. But on momentum, there was a number I published. People thought, well, scratch their heads because it was so detailed. It said 1119.6, <laughs> just under 1120, because that would cause annual momentum, the downtick and 2% increment to a level I didn't particularly want to see. It wouldn't necessarily say it's a bear. It just says that's too deep. For comfort. Uh-huh. It stopped at twelve at eleven twenty three, so it stopped three dollars yeah. and forty cents above it, and uh, and then now we're at about twelve thirty. So uh, I, I think the bull is still there. It just had a big correction. Period. That's all it was. It was a, and I'm sure a, a boatload of late coming longs who bought gold not in eleven hundreds but at twelve fifty or thirteen hundred got dumped out. Yeah. And now they're probably wondering, what do I do? Yeah. Uh, and that's. That's their problem, but you know it, it's just the nature of bull markets or bear markets. There are counter trend moves that will rattle your teeth if you didn't get in at the right spot, mm-hmm. um, or or if you were too leveraged or something. So it's just the nature of markets. Uh, but, and those folks have a problem, but I'm I'm still very bullish on it. And uh, the gold miners are acting even better. I, I like them better than gold. For, um, yeah, for, for measured reasons, not not for fundamental. We, you know, we don't approach things fundamentally. Right. Um, right. But the, the spread between the gold miners and gold over the past decade or two decades even, you can measure it. And we measured it. And in fact, we had a recent report on it. And um, it, it's still fully positive, turned positive in late 2015. So it said this time around, don't own gold, own the gold miners. You'll do better. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, mm-hmm. you are. And I mm-hmm. think that will continue. I don't see anything in the way right now that indicates that's going to change. All right. What about the dollar? Uh, the gold has been, the last couple of days at least, it's been very strong, even as the dollar has strengthened. Uh, what about the dollar now? What are your charts yeah, suggesting a, there? Dollar's dancing on a, on a, on a mine, just above a minefield. 
Uh, we watch the euro and the dollar because the, the euro is 57% of the dollar index. Okay, so uh, the dollar index popped through some highs that, that occurred in 2015, early in the year and late in the year, and were pushed at in 2016, basically up at 100 level on the dollar index. Actually, the numbers were about 100.50. Okay, Late last year, 2016, the market pushed on through to 100 point, 103.5, so punched mm-hmm. out above the prior highs by all 2-3%. And everybody got ecstatic. The dollar bulls really, you know, it's, it's going to take off. It's going to leave the earth and, and because it took out some price highs. Meanwhile, no momentum indicator that I had was anywhere near taking out any highs. Uh-huh. So momentum was choking and la- giving a Bronx cheer to the price action. <laughs> and then last week we had the dollar index close the week out at 99.60. So uh-huh. back down below those prior highs that it broke out above so demonstrably. So I, I tend to think the breakout late last year was exhaustive, mm-hmm. false, and a trap. But I need to see the dollar index get down to 99, and we stopped at 99.23 last week. I think it's back over 100 right now. Uh, I need to see it get to 99, especially close a month there or lower. If I see that, then our, our view at Momentum Structural Analysis is it's a bear. Mm. Now, the euro, right. at the same time, has done some things that are positive, but I want them both to do signal the opposite. The euro got high enough in the, in the rally a week ago to take out last year's momentum high on our momentum measurements, annual momentum. So that was a positive, but at the same time, the dollar did not do the opposite. It came close. So I still want that dollar index below at 99 or lower uh, before I can be convinced of that. And, and I think once you break that, if you do break it, and I think, I think my bias is you're going to, mm-hmm. uh, that it'll be a whoosh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it won't be gentle. And therefore, mm-hmm. that, that could really inject some, some power into some commodities, especially gold. Mm-hmm. Oh, very interesting. Well, with just two minutes left here yet, Michael, uh, you've been talking about the counter-trend rally in the T-bond. We've seen some of that. How much further do you think it has to run? Uh, I, I have some reasons to think, and I've said this a couple of months ago, in fact. First off, we're bearish on the bonds. We think yields are going up, prices are going down. And we look at T-bond futures, 30-year debt instrument. It's been around for 30 years in the futures markets since 1977, I think. Uh, and they got up uh, to 170s. In the 166 level, we turned major bearish on annual momentum of T-bonds. That was back in October. They dropped to 148, pretty good drop. But they got overdone, and our view was they're going to have a counter-trend rally. It was counter to the major new negative trend. They're going Mm -hmm. to have a sharp counter-trend rally, sort of like gold had a counter-trend sell-off, remember, late last year. Sure. Well, they haven't had it yet. I think we could go to 156 at minimum, and I think our best level so far we've seen in the last few weeks is just below 154. I think it's trying again right now to get muster that rally, get it going. It may be that rally will be coincidental with weakness in the S&P. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my gut hunch. I don't want to put everything on that, but I, I think that if the bonds get, get that rally going, probably it will be assisted by weakness in the S&P. And right now, of course, the S&P is just sound asleep up there. You know, yeah. you keep going up. They, they make a, quote, new high, and then they drop the market back, and they come up and make a new high by a few more points, and they drop the market. It's, it's getting boring. It really is. That will help the bond market have a, have a spike counter-trend rally. Yeah, it really is, and I—I I mean, that would—I mean, we're going to be talking to David Stockman in about 15 minutes or so from now, and he put out a piece this morning titled "Stock Markets Unhinged: Why the Crash Will Be Violent." I can't imagine a violent stock market crash 
uh, at least initially, money wouldn't flow into the bond market, into the te- treasury markets, well, until so if too, for yeah. some reason, God forbid, uh, people lose confidence in the in the U.S. dollar, and then uh, and then it could be a, a brand new game of of some. Uh, that that would affect the bonds uh, negatively, I would think, because you know uh, at some point, and that would go with the major negative trend in the bonds, which we foresee uh, would be a dollar weakening, because you know, hmm. uh, since I don't own a T bond for almost no yield and, and losing on the on the currency swap, you know, so um, yeah, I think that could be a factor as well. All right, Michael, uh, we're we're going to have to leave it go at that. Okay. Um, I might ask you to stick around for a little bit though, in case uh, our next guest isn't available, uh, but. Uh, sure. I'll, I'll be back to you. Thank you very much for being with us, uh, Michael. And if we don't talk to you some more today, we'll look to talk to you next week. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, folks. So we are scheduled to be with uh, Bill Sheriff. He's the executive director of uh, Golden Predator. And my engineer is saying he's having a little trouble getting in touch with him. So um, we will be back, though, um, after the break, hopefully, with Bill Sheriff. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon. Focused on advancing its Three Aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the USOTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on its Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am a, a bit disappointed that Bill Sheriff isn't here. He's the president, uh, actually the executive chairman of Golden Predator, but I'm not in the least disappointed that Michael is able to stay with us for another few minutes here. Thank you so much, Michael, for being with us. Oh, that's uh, fine. Coming back Glad here, the second yeah, segment here. Sure. Okay. Uh, all right. You know, we were uh, you. You've come up with this uh, plate te- plate tectonic shift that you saw happening, and you know, I, I being one that's always looking at geology, looking at companies and their geological prospects, you know, and and, and realizing how slow the plates are to move, you know, and, and it takes a long time for things to really become noticed. You know, you might have a quarter of an inch a year or so the major plates are moving. And sometimes, <clears throat> you know, people are very impatient about markets. They want to make money right away. They want things to happen right away. Mm-hmm. And you sit back and look at it in a, in a I think, in a scientific way. You look at your numbers. You look at what's going on with your momentum uh, work and so forth. And you could see that, these major plates were starting to come to the point where there was going to be some major movement, uh, where there were the sort of the levels of, or some point where the stress could not be taken anymore, and we're going to start to see some major shifts. And you turn uh, pretty bearish, uh, at least longer term bearish, on uh, on bonds and equities. Uh, very bullish on precious metals, uh, on on currencies, uh, other uh, bearish on the dollar, and and uh, also bullish on commodities and precious metals and lo and behold everything's pretty well working out now nothing is going to happen instantly with all those plates in other words we're not going to see everything go at the same way just as in nature you won't see the major plates on the earth all shake and mm-hmm. move at the same time so uh, give us an update as to where we are we've seen the precious metals make a big move in 2016 yeah. uh, we've seen oil and the commodities on the commodity sector you're very bullish on it Talk to us a little bit about commodities and, and where you see the most movement well, in the, 2017. Well, the move last year was uh, the Bloomberg Commodity Index uh, is a good model of the commodity category, I think. The, it, the way it's fragmented into the, the food commodities and the oil and precious metals, it, it's distributed nicely. It's mm-hmm. not lumped heavily with energy, for example. Yeah. Uh, so it's a good balance. Okay, so I use it as my metric. Um, it used to be the Dow Jones UBS Commodity Index, and, and Bloomberg bought it back in 2005, I think. Anyway, it broke out last year, in our opinion, on annual momentum at a price of about 84. Um, it shot up recently to about 88 or so, no big deal. But from year-to-year close, is very interesting. Last year, S&P was up 9-point-something. Uh, Bloomberg Commodity Index is up 11-point-something. And it did that without the assistance. In fact, with negative action by the meats, Downside. Uh-huh. And grains laying on their back. As uh-huh. too big of the food commodities basically did not participate, with the exception of sugar, in upside. Uh, last year was entirely almost oil, precious metals, uh, and sugar. And so the big chunk of the commodity category, the, the stuff, stuff we eat, did not participate. But it was building structure, in our opinion, to a basing structure on momentum. And you can even see it on price to some extent. That says, okay, we're about to join in. So I think this coming year, you're going to rotate, you know, just like in the stock market. There are categories to be in and worse categories to be in, you know, that either go up less or down more and so forth. Well, Mm -hmm. in commodities this year, we expect grains and the food commodities in general to have the best percent gain. The likelihood is that. Uh, And I think oil will have a – it may still have one more spurt in it, get you up close to 60 or the upper 50s, and our high so far has been just above 55 
but I think it's near the end of its first major up leg from its bear market low, which was at, you know just above $25. And then I think oil is not going to be the leader anymore in the commodity sector and probably you know ratchet its way back down to some extent while these other commodities take over. Mm-hmm. And I think that will give the further boost to the Bloomberg Commodity Index and so forth. Um, gold, to some extent, is apart from this. You know, it's, it's really its money. And so yeah. while we, we think of it as commodity, it's really monetary. So the issue there is, again, the dollar index that we talked about breaking 99, um, which it's come very close to last week. But uh, if I can get it to break that, then at that point, I think the dollar will become a factor. Last year it was not because it was so dormant. Had one of the most dormant years in the euro and the dollar we've had in many years in terms of lack of volatility and lack of trend. Mm-hmm. But the bond markets, I think, are a trigger for stocks, negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, yields are turning up. We know that. Bond prices are coming down. We're bearish on UST bonds and so forth. But we did a study last week on the European bond markets, mm-hmm. uh, specifically not the price but the yield charts of, these, of Italy, Spain, France, and Germany. And they're spiking up. But you've got to remember, one of the charges was ludicrous to me. Back in 2011, if you recall the European debt crisis, we dropped hard in August, September of 2011, and the S&P and the, Deut- and the DAX index did too, but it was sparked by Greece. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're facing a debt problem from Italy, because Italy is the largest, you know, its government debt to GDP ratio is the worst in the world, I think, next to Japan, and certainly right. the worst in Europe, and it's very sizable. Well, the ECB, in their wisdom, uh, drove the yields of the Spanish 10-year bond and the Italian from something like 7% yields back in 2011 down to zero, no, excuse me, down to 1% or less yeah. in that period of time. Now, that didn't happen because everything got better over there. It was an yeah. artificial pricing invasion by the ECB to price, to bid those bonds up in price down in yield, such that the Spanish and the Italian yields were lower than U.S. 10-year T-note yields which, of course, is ludicrous. I mean, we have our debt problems, but it doesn't compare. So anyway, those markets are turning up. Yields are turning up, and they're breaking out. And I think you've got to watch Italian bonds in particular, uh, and even French bonds are broken through in momentum in terms of yield. So I think the yield problem in Europe, meaning the resting away from the ECB, their control over the debt of the interest rate situation, is going to be a spark. And it's not Greece anymore. It's now Italy some extent, Spain and France. Hmm. So I would be watching those bonds over there more so than I'd be watching the DAX index or the CAC index Mm -hmm. uh, as far as European stock prices. I'd be looking at their yield prices because that's where I think the earthquake will come that will shake loose the equity markets. Right now, we've rationalized it, stock bulls. They said, Mm -hmm. oh, well, rates are going up a bit because the economy is getting stronger. Right. Well, uh, it's also uh, repricing itself because it had been artificially priced by central banks, the interest rate markets, and they're losing control over that pricing. And I don't care about the overnight rates of the Federal Reserve. That's irrelevant. I'm talking about 30-year, 10-year, that type of stuff. Yeah. Uh, those rates are rising, and not just here, but especially in Europe, and they can't afford to. And it indicates to me that the, the control, the influence that's been exerted by the ECB, the Bank of Japan, and the Fed from 2011 to 2016, let's say, uh, that game's over. And the point at which the public, the investor, realizes that could be a a stark moment and and impact stock prices at that time. 
So let me understand, if we start to get really, you know, rates start to really rise dramatically in Europe, uh, that would be that would be bullish for the euro, possibly? Well, yeah, and, uh, but it is also the euro was also artificially priced. Remember, the, the ECB wanted not only rates down over there, they wanted right. the euro down because they thought it, was, right. you know, that it helps trade and all that nonsense. Right. Uh, the great argument, but it, it doesn't hold water. But so when you have artificial pricing, it's like pushing a beach ball underwater. You know, it didn't go underwater by itself. You pushed it under. And as right. soon as your hands lose control over it, it comes up. It doesn't just come up to the water level. It often overshoots, if you know what I mean. Yep. So when you have an artificially priced market, whether uh, stocks are uh, overly priced on the upside because of central bank policy and intention, which Bernanke even stated was his intention, and you have debt markets, yields priced low, but artificially so, not where the reality would be. And those things come undone. It's like a snapping situation. So the tectonic plate, instead of moving slowly, it moves like an earthquake. You suddenly get a a whoosh effect. And Mm -hmm. my opinion is stocks aren't going to drive themselves down, even though they're deserving of it, especially Western developed nation stocks. Uh, It's going to be an effect of yields. Mm -hmm. That will be the domino that topples into the stock markets. Uh, Not emerging markets, but the developed markets, Japan, Europe, and here. And so I'd be f- more focused on what Italian bonds do right now than I think about anything else. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Well, uh, Michael, getting back to the commodity sector, I have to thank you. Uh, you put out a missive. And, you know, most of the people who hear you, you talk about gold, the dollar, maybe T-bonds, maybe S- the S&P now and then. But people should know that your service involves an awful lot more than that. We talk about those markets because those are the ones that we're most focused on on this show. But you also put out uh, a, a piece this last week on uh, on livestock, I think, on Yeah, live cattle, live cattle. Thank you. And I went out and looked for an ETF in live cattle, and I found Cow C O W, and it's performing very, very nicely for me this (laughs) week. And and also, the the cattle market was a a big negative last year. It was collapsing in price. It started. We called a bear trend back then, and I think it was the opening of 2015 or 16. I forget which year it was, but it was $160, and they drove it down to it well into the 90s before it was over with. But cattle is now, as far as we're concerned, bottomed and will yeah. contribute, therefore, to the commodity upsurge. Last year, it was actually a net negative, and yet uh-huh. the Bloomberg Commodity Index went up anyway because enough other markets were positive. But now cattle's just like the grains, look to me like they're ready to take food prices up. And it looks like it could be a sort of thing where there's a void, where the initial up leg could be, again, the whoosh effect, where there's just simply not, not enough for sale. And there's, there's a vacuum, and they could rally sharply in the first leg. And so cattle is, uh, looks to me like it's freshly broken out upside, not that it can't have a $2 pullback here or there, but sure. it looks like a, an emergent bull. <laughs> yeah. Well, it really looks good, and I mean, I'm looking right now at, uh, at my ownership of cow, COW is a symbol. It's an ETF that is, I guess, priced off of the futures, off the uh, live cattle mm-hmm. futures, and it's up very nicely in, a, in the few trading days, and then I went out and bought some, uh, some call options on cow, and they're up doing much better even than that. A lot mm-hmm. better, in fact, because of the leverage effect. Oh, yeah. You also, uh, with a couple of minutes left here yet, M- Michael, I know that uh, Moo is one that you've looked at. What does Moo involve? Moo is in- uh, the agricultural industry stocks, not the commodities yeah. themselves. DBA is the uh, ETF for the actual food commodities. It includes the meats, the grains, and so forth. But Moo is the companies like uh, Monsanto, Syngenta, Agrium, okay. uh, uh, Potash, the fertilizer companies as well, okay. even Deere, John yeah. Deere. Uh, yeah. And so... They should benefit from a commodity food price rise. 
uh, and it's technically behaving as if it will. And I think if you have to be in the stock market, I would be in commodity-related, not oil at this point. I think that you got your gains last year. I wouldn't be joining in that thing, oil right. uh, stocks, it is. But food-related commodity companies uh, <clears throat> that help grow the commodity, help uh, harvest the crop, like John Deere tractors uh, sure. and so forth. That's, that's, a, that's a, probably going to rise, even if the market goes down, but certainly behave better than the broad market. Right. So if you're, if you're, looking, if you're an RIA looking to advise your clients on they've got to be in stock market, I suggest uh, you take a look around in the, uh, at the Moo ETF and the stocks within it. All right. It's a place to be long stocks, you know. All right, Michael. We're going to have to let it go at that. I'm, I'm okay. very thankful to you for sticking around and filling in for Bill Sheriff. Uh, uh, many thanks for that. Your, your um, ideas are always very welcome here, and uh, and I know people are benefiting very, very much from your uh, from your insights here. And it's Oliver MSA. Oliver MSA, folks, go there to learn more about Michael's excellent work. Thank you so much, Michael, for being with us, folks. Don't go away. We have David Stockman coming up right after the commercial break. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network novo resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects its flagship asset is the beaton's creek gold project in western australia where it is currently processing a 30,000 ton bulk sample novo also controls 100 percent interest in the blue spec gold antimony project where it is conducting a 10,000 meter drill program the company has over 7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of eric sprott and newmont mining it trades in canada and the u.s under the symbols NVO and NSRPF respectively. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have David Stock with me, Stockman with me once again. For good reasons, David is one of the more popular guests on this show, and he is a personal favorite of mine, no doubt, because my free market and libertarian values are, I think, almost entirely in sync with his. Uh, also, given my age, I remember very fondly the days uh, with as uh, when he was when David was Ronald Reagan's budget director, and he had the intestinal fortitude to stand up for fiscal rectitude when political pressures 
have almost, uh, almost with almost every budget director since then have uh, caused them to buckle under the pressures from both the Keynes and the supply siders, uh, the quacks that have tragically led our country, I think, down towards uh, towards uh, destruction, uh, financial destruction and ruin in many ways. So David has always been a, a hero of mine because of his willingness to stand up for truth, uh, even uh, when that meant differing with his boss, uh, the President of the United States. In a way, I see David as having the same enormous level of intestinal fortitude as Donald Trump, but David is one who relates his strongly held views with civility and grace in a, in a way I suppose we could all only wish that President Trump was was like that as well. But anyway, David, thank you so much for, for coming on with us again today. Well, happy to be with you again, Jay, and also for uh, recalling uh, those early days of the Reagan administration because I just looked at the calendar and uh, I had a recollection that I think is quite relevant and powerful to the moment. And that is, by February 7th in 1981, we had been at the business of putting Ronald Reagan's economic program together for a month and a half. We had had meetings with the president at the White House every day from January 1 forward. We'd gone through two or 300 different budget cuts that he had personally uh, listened to and asked questions about and approved, and the whole package was almost ready. It was locked down by the 14th of February, only a few days equivalent from today, and he went to Capitol Hill on February 18th and delivered the whole Reagan economic program, the huge tax cuts, the spending reforms, the targets for uh, the budget uh, for five years running, uh, the balanced budget target, and all the rest. Now, a lot of that didn't work out, but I think it's a useful thing to bring up uh, at the moment because it indicates how far behind the Trump administration is Mm. and how they've gotten way off track uh, with this giant misfire in the first week. Uh, you know, with the travel ban and the whole firestorm that's created and now the contest in the court, whether it's a constitutional crisis or not, I'll leave for others to describe. But the point is, I know it's a giant distraction. It's uh, draining political capital very rapidly uh, from uh, the uh, White House when you need it most early in administration to get an economic program moving forward. So uh, I think uh, they're in pretty deep trouble already, and we're just getting started. The clock moves very quickly. The calendar moves very quickly. And uh, just in the last few days, it's become evident that all of these grand plans about hitting the ground running and repealing Obamacare day one and having a tax, uh, big giant tax cut and fiscal stimulus moving through the system early on, none of that's going to happen. I I think uh, uh, this year is going to soon be consumed in a debt ceiling crisis, uh, uh, government shutdown uh, threats, or even... uh, likelihood that it happens, and uh, we're heading for a totally different scenario than is priced into the market today Mm. uh, as a result of this uh, honeymoon period and this wild idea that got uh, 
you know, implanted in Wall Street that uh, there was going to be some great Trump uh, stimulus, that he was the second coming of Ronald Reagan. I uh, I like a lot of things that he said, particularly on foreign policy, although he seems mm-hmm. to flop around and be all over the lot. But it, it is not the same thing, and it's getting off uh, to uh, a very shaky uh, and not very promising start. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I would like to have you talk a little bit more about the uh, about the article that you put out to your paid subscribers today. Stock markets unhinged. Why the crash will be violent. Um, I mean, I know you've been bearish on the equity market for some time. It's uh, continued to defy gravity. I think because the Fed uh, has a put option, which started way back with Alan Greenspan, but the Fed seems to be, whenever there is a, you know, a serious decline in the equity markets, they loosen up the reins of credit. How much longer can that go on, David? And, and that easy credit has been used to a certain extent, uh, to a great extent, I think, by, by corporations to buy their own stock back, push the stock up, and then exercise their options, all kinds of games being played. But how much longer can the Fed... Uh, drive the equity market and make sure that all their rich friends stay rich? Well, uh, that is a great question, and I think the answer in brief is not much longer. Uh, I uh, think the Fed is out of dry powder, that when it's happening, this giant uh, constant stimulus, the Greenspan, uh, Bernanke, uh, Yellen put, and all the rest of it, it seems like it can go on forever, that it's a permanent uh, feature of the financial system, but it isn't. The market did crash, you know, about 50% uh, in the spring of 2000. The market did crash again eight years later. Uh, we're now uh, nine, pushing nine years from the last uh, peak. So I think the Fed now uh, is finished. They're no longer doing QE. Europe is about ready to begin tapering off or winding down its QE. The Japanese are lost. Uh, even uh, China has got a huge problem, as, as uh, some listeners may have noted. In the last uh, day, I think it was announced that their so-called foreign exchange reserves have dropped below $3 trillion for the first time, which means more capital flight, which means that they are tightening uh, their banking system and monetary uh, condition internally. So what I'm saying is all the central banks of the world are coming to the end of the road in terms of all this money printing and all this injection of liquidity uh, in cash into the financial markets. And that means that we're heading in what I would into what I would call the payback era. Now, the reason the stock market in the United States uh, had this last, uh, what I, you know, it's a sucker's rally, if you want to use a shorthand term, is because the idea got launched without any real basis, uh, without any real um, credibility that the baton of stimulus was going to be handed off from the central bank from monetary policy to the the fiscal policy, to the Trump stimulus of some big Reagan-type tax cut, infrastructure stimulus of a trillion dollars, and more defense spending, and uh, a 
even bigger uh, you know deficit than we have today. I think all of that is uh, not going to happen. Uh, is uh, completely uh, unreal, and as a result of that, when the market finally figures out that the Fed is done, that the other central banks of the world uh, are running out of dry powder too, and that there is going to be no handoff of the stimulus baton to fiscal policy, then I think there's going to be a panic because this market is, you know, it's a stimulus junkie. The market no longer discounts real world economics or, uh, you know, the market's trading at 26 times uh, actual gap uh, earnings posted for the most recent 12-month period. That's crazy. Uh, This late in the cycle with all the headwinds that we have around the world and with all the uncertainties, you know, just in the last couple of days, you've seen polls out of Germany saying Merkel could lose, polls out of France saying Le Pen could win, Uh, Trump, uh, you know, stumbling around like a whirling dervish within the first month of his administration. When you you begin to stack all that up, uh, why in the world do you think, would you uh, think uh, that the market should be valued at what I call, you know, skybox uh, sky levels uh, of uh, P.E. Well, it shouldn't be. All of this, uh, as I said in my post today, is very dangerous. And uh, if, uh, you know, people have common sense, they should get out of the way as quickly as they can. All right. But I'm just trying to understand why QE can't go on. Why can't the, the lies and the, the trickery, the deceit, uh, the belief in, um, in 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 Santa Claus can't go on. Why can't uh, why can't balance sheets of of central banks continue to explode, getting bigger and bigger? What market forces are there that will stop it, David? Well, there are market forces and there are political forces. In the case of the ECB, the Germans are in total revolt because they believe their banks are getting uh, uh, savaged, uh, their savers are getting savaged. That. Uh, the uh, money printing at the ECB, although it's actually kept the uh, euro weak and therefore it supported German uh, exports, uh, nevertheless, politically, Germany is in open revolt, including from their finance minister uh, about continuation of this giant 80 uh, billion per month QE. So they've already announced their uh, tapering that back to 60 billion, and the next shoe will be uh, it's heading at some point in time towards zero. You don't have to get to zero, you only have to announce uh, that you're heading in that direction, and all of the uh, liquidity that's flowing into the market uh, will change, and the uh, mentality of traders will change. Now, why can't they uh, continue? Well, I think the answer is that. Uh, this was never meant to be a permanent policy. Even the Keynesian monetary central planners, as I call them, who run the Fed and other central banks, uh, uh, deluded themselves into thinking that this was a one-time, maybe uh, extraordinary uh, uh, kind of uh, policy that uh, would eventually be phased out. And uh, if they went back to it now, it would be an admission that the whole experiment, which is, you know, eight years old now, has failed. 
And frankly, I don't think that would be a confidence producer in the stock market. Uh, it would uh, actually, in my view, uh, cause a panic because people would realize that uh, QE hasn't worked, doesn't work, and that there is uh, even more problems ahead. So the uh, the reality of economics comes home and intersects with politics, and the political forces then are, are causing change. Is that is that sort of yeah, the way I it's think, working? I think, yeah, yeah, Jay, I think that's it. And part of it is, um, you know, interest rates have been at zero for something like 96 months running now, and there is a whole segment of American society, uh, retirees and savers, that are getting destroyed by this that are getting Absolutely. savaged. And they have a political force. Frankly, I think some of the, uh, you know, hidden political force that came out uh, in behalf of Trump and that caused the great shock on election night was uh, in flyover America, people, savers, uh, and uh, people planning for the future and their retirement realized they were getting hosed, and they didn't know what the answer is, but they were looking for a change from the status quo. And I think if the Fed went back and said, we're going to keep you savers, we're going to keep our foot on the neck of savers for the next four years with even more of this, uh, then you would, bring, you would bring them out of the woodwork. There would be an open political revolt. So you can only defy uh, what I would call the laws of sound uh, economics and sound money uh, for so long. It is not possible to do this indefinitely without just blowing up the whole system. So do you believe the interest rates, uh, we're, you know, we're seeing an uptick in rates, maybe a, a counter-trend rally right now in the T-bond Michael Oliver, who was on with us a little while ago, talks about a counter-trend rally. He's expected it, but he also believes that when the equity market, you know, when the equity market finally gets its uh, starts downward in a, in a major way, that you could also see some strength in the in the U.S. Treasuries for a while. But do you believe that the rates are rising then primarily because of market forces? These things you're talking about, and it's not really the Fed that wants the rates to rise, and they're pretending they do, or that, that so that they can pretend that they're still in charge of things, or what? No, I think these are totally artificial rates worldwide. Now, there's been quite a change uh, since the uh, yield, since the yields hit a low in August. Remember, the Treasury ten-year uh, Treasury was at 1.35 yeah. uh, at the low point in August, so it's up a hundred basis points or more already. But the point was is that in August there were 13 trillion uh, of sovereign debt out of about 45 trillion outstanding in the world, so almost a third uh, trading at zero or sub-zero rates. That's crazy. That's uh, you know that's in defiance of every uh, notion of uh, you know supply and demand and uh, the laws of economics. And so therefore the question is. As the central banks take their big fat thumb off the scale and stop buying or taper down dramatically the rate at which they're taking supply out of the market, then the price is going to adjust. This is, you know, all, all the debt in the world, all the sovereign debt in the world is uh, mispriced. It's uh, the yields are way too low uh, given. Um, the fact that there are taxes in the world, that there is inflation in the world, and that there has to be a return sooner or later um, 
if uh, you know people are actually going to buy this paper. So uh, I don't think it has anything to do with uh, you know the macros that all these economists uh, talk about all the time, the growth rate or the prospect for an uptick in the growth rate or you know uh, a little more inflation measured by the CPI. You know, those things may feed into the mix, but they are only marginal. The big factor is supply and demand for sovereign debt uh, and the manner in which the uh, scale in the global financial markets has been unbalanced and distorted by QE. Now, people sometimes don't realize how big this has been, Mm -hmm. but uh, in 1995, total balance sheets of the major central banks were less than $2 trillion. Today, they're $22 trillion. Wow. So you just have to think about it. If you buy $20 trillion of something, (laughs) all right, and it doesn't matter whether it's barrels of oil or tons of uh, copper or, or, uh, uh, you know, billions of bonds, you're going to impact the price in a major way. And, and sure. we've had, so therefore, that's, that's what's going on in the big uh, dynamic ahead. And I'm not talking about short-term tactical trading. I mean, if there is a, a major correction in the stock market, yeah, there will be some uh, flow into the bond market and could be a small counter-trend rally. But the big future is the uh, era of central bank money printing, in my view, is coming to an end. The global bond market is going to reprice based on the actual supply and demand. The front-running of the central banks by uh, bond traders and hedge funds and so forth that have actually... Uh, exacerbated the mispricing will reverse the other way. Let's just talk about a practical example. Not that long ago, the uh, 10-year debt of Italy was actually trading under 1.0%. Today, I think it's maybe 220 or something like that. Now, why in the world would the bonds uh, of Italy, which uh, you know is a basket case, its economy is smaller today than it was 10 years ago, its debt to GDP is 135%. Its political system is totally paralyzed. They can't even keep a government in office. Why would the bonds of a country with those characteristics be trading at 1.0% as they were? The answer is the fast money uh, in Wall Street and London and Europe was front-running the ECB when it was still going full board, $90 billion a month of bond purchases. And now that uh, it's signaled that era is over, and it's already announced that it will taper back to $60 billion Euros a month, um, it's already uh, impacting the uh, pricing of Italian debt. And that's only a small example of what I mean by... Uh, a reversal of the front-running dynamic. As the bond markets uh, adjust to the fact that the central bank uh, buying is coming to an end, they'll go the other way. They'll start selling whatever the central bank owns. They have been buying whatever the central bank banks have announced they intend to buy. You know, so this is the the dynamic that we're in. Wow. It could be really... 
horrible for people that are caught in these instruments, though, David. And, uh, you know, I, I have to ask you, how worried are you about the Joseph Steiglitzes of this world, the Larry Summers, those guys that are pushing for, I don't know, if they're still pushing for negative rates, you're suggesting that's not going to happen, but they like this notion of a cashless society. Does that concern you in the least? Oh, yeah. I think that's a very worrisome thing because that's the last resort of the Keynesian monetary central planners. Um, they uh, realize that savers can only be punished uh, for so long and that uh, if they really want to drive the world into negative nominal yields, then uh, people are going to go to cash. In fact, people might even start a business warehousing cash uh, at a very uh, you know efficient fee rather than uh, as an alternative to uh, bank account uh, deposits where you're paying the bank uh, to hold your money. So yeah. that's, why they, that's why they're going after cash. It is, a, it is the vital precondition for permanent zero, sub-zero interest rates, which would mean, in a way, the, the permanent confiscation of the mm-hmm. wealth of the savings class of society. So this thing is very dangerous, but I do believe the world's moving in a direction politically where it's going to be very hard for that to happen. Uh, I mean, after all, what is the uh, number one item or one of the items in the uh, platform of Le Pen in France is to get out of the euro, to get out from under the uh, ECB? Well, I'll tell you one thing. If, if they went back to the... Uh, uh, French uh, franc and uh, their own uh, uh, central bank, <laughs> there wouldn't be any sub-zero yields in France, okay? Right. Uh, and I think in a, uh, even in the U.S. environment, in a Trump uh, uh, era, there's not going to be a Fed with the nerve to drive interest rates to zero, and uh, there is no way that, uh, in my view, you would see a Trump administration um, signing legislation that would make uh, zero interest rates possible in the United right. States. All right, David, with just uh, under two minutes left to go, what should people be doing right now? I mean, if you sit around with bonds, you're going to get killed. Uh, if you sit around in stocks, you're making the case that stocks are very, very overpriced, and they certainly are from a historical point of view, late in the, late in the cycle. So what should people be doing now? Cash could be confiscated. I mean, get, I guess get your money out of the bank as much as possible. Gold, what yeah, do you suggest? Uh, you know, I think right now uh, we're heading to an era where cash is king and gold will be better. Uh, uh-huh. In other words, when the central bank money printing regime finally ends or is perceived to have failed, and, and we're getting close to that now, um, the ultimate uh, monetary asset is gold, and compared to the size of the financial system in the world, the gold market is quite small, which means that as you get on the margin, more and more uh, people uh, resort uh, fleeing to the ultimate financial or monetary asset the price of gold uh, has the potential to soar uh, quite substantially, and I think the risk that it could drop uh, significantly from where it is today is very minimal. So uh, gold is probably the upside asset, and cash, 
will be a good thing to hold because remember when the bond market corrects and the stock market corrects, financial asset prices are going to fall dramatically, not just by right. 5% or 8%, but by right. 40, 50, or 60%. Right. And if people have cash in three years, they're going to buy stuff at a 50% discount. It's a, right. you know, it's All right. a very David, we're going we're gonna to have to let it go with that, David, because we are out of time. As always, thank you so much for being with us. Your insights are just very, very valuable. We thank you for taking the time to talk to our listeners today, and we hope we can talk to you again sometime in the near future. Okay, that's great. We certainly will. Thank you, David. Well, folks, next week, uh, Doug Casey will be my guest, and I'm sure Doug will have a lot of a lot that in common with, uh, w- with uh, David Stockman. You won't want to miss Doug. Always entertaining Doug Casey next week. Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon, focused on advancing its Three Aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the US OTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on its Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX.